Now, today's Palm Sunday, and so in all of the Gospels, you can find the text of Jesus coming into, into town there. Uh, Matthew 21, 4 through 9, Mark 11, 7 through 10, Luke 19, 35 through 38. In the book of John, chapter 12, uh, I'm going to read that to you. So uh, the next day, there's a large crowd that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, this is not a sermon about Palm Sunday. We're actually going to stay in Galatians. But I'm giving you a preview because next Sunday's sermon is going to be about what this crowd is talking about. Because I believe it's something that we can still talk about. But after this, after this text, chronologically, then Jesus went and he suffered death, and then he was buried, and then there was the resurrection, and then after the resurrection was the commissioning, right? And then after the commissioning happened, uh, Pentecost happened, and the church was born, and then Paul started his journey, and he wrote to Galatians, and that's what brings us to Galatians today, right? So I'm, I'm totally within the context of John chapter 12, you see? So this is a Palm Sunday sermon, right? And so uh, I know I'm stretching it a, a little bit there, but uh, that's just how it's going to be. And, uh, and what I want to talk to you about today is it's a pastor's job, fortunately and unfortunately, it's a pastor's job to correct those who are erring by the word of God, right? Now, in the first century church, we see some different heresies that has, 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 have, have sprung up. There's Gnosticism, which is this idea of kind of a secret knowledge that only some have and, and others don't. There's uh, Arianism, which is the son is uh, not the same substance as the father who was actually created, and he's like the perfect of all creation. That's where you have the idea of the Aryan race or the or whatever. So that's Arianism. Uh, Pelagianism is this original, this is the idea of the original sin did not actually taint all of us and that we can actually receive perfection through salvation in Christ Jesus. Um, uh, sometimes I struggle to say these. Monophysitism Monotheism is the good one, whoever said that, I think. Um, uh, monophysitism, Jesus is, uh, does, uh, does not have two natures, but only one, which is just divine. So he's, he's just God, he's not human. And of course, that would make the atoning sacrifice uh, ineffective for us mere mortals, so uh, that's wrong. Uh, there's Nestorianism, so the human and the divine natures remain separated within Jesus. Have you ever heard of those Russian Nestor dolls? That's what I always think of when I hear about this heresy. And so there's one, there's one like, 
personage within another personage within another personage of Jesus, right? So you've got the physical Jesus, and then you've got deity Jesus, and then you've got human Jesus in this Nestorian thing. I don't know if that's exactly what they were thinking of when they came up, but I can't. I've ruined it for you forever, so you're, you're welcome. Uh, and then there's universalism, which is all are reconciled to God through Christ, regardless of, of anything, right? And the issue with that is, is that not everyone is saved. And unfortunately, that's a truth of Christianity that we have to wrestle through, right? Some, some people are not saved. And Jesus talked about that when he said, you know, there's the wheat and there's the tares. And so that's just how it is. Now, in today's society, we have things like the social justice gospel or the social justice revolution. And then more frequently and more pervasive right now is this sexual revolution that we hear about in our news all the time. And so, unfortunately, sometimes it's the pastor's job to correct those who are erring by the word of God. And they should be doing this out of love and not out of malice. And this is what Paul has been doing in the book of Galatians. He has given them some very hard corrections, right? But he's doing that because he loves them. Luther writes about this section that we're going we're gonna to cover. And by the way, I, I guess I haven't done that yet. We're going to be in, in Galatians 4. We're going to look at 12 through 31, bleeding a little bit back into um, earlier in chapter 4, but that's the main thrust. And if you're a note taker, you can see on there, I've got, I've got basically three main points that I want to talk about, and then there's some sub points underneath there, far less important. Um, but, the, but the three uh, points are, are really about this prayer that I find that we can see in the text that Paul, Paul is is going to show us a prayer that, sh- that is my prayer for, for y'all, that should be our prayer for one another as we are a body of believers. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's writing to them some tough things, right? Um, but he's doing that because he loves them. Luther said about this, that this, is, this, is, this section of text is the breath of Paul's own tears. And so as we look at this, I hope that you're going to be able to see Paul's affection as well as his rebuke for those who are erring because he understands that when we talk about biblical text, when we talk about doctrine applied, when we talk about theology, we are talking about life and death and not just physical life and death, but eternal and spiritual life and death. And so this is of vital importance to make sure that we are seeking to get it right. So I think we should go to God in prayer and ask him to help us do that, shouldn't we? Let's pray. Dearest Lord Jesus, We are amazed by you. We thank you for coming to and for us in the flesh and even now through your spirit. And so, Father, we praise you for that today. Lord, we confess that we are weak and sinful and we need you to bear with us. We need you to change and to grow us. For in ourselves, we often turn aside to earthly things. We thank you, Father, that you never leave nor forsake us, that you who have begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. We thank you that you have sent your Son to dwell among mortal men and to suffer the death that we deserve so that he might give the life which he earned to us. Show us how to live, Lord Jesus. Help us to hear your word and apply it even when it's hard to hear and hard to apply. Make yourself known through us. Conform us to your image and give us the gift of being used by you to see others transformed for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, this is Paul's prayer to the Galatians. I 
think. And so therefore, it's my prayer for us as a congregation. It's my prayer for myself and for my wife and for my children. And I hope that it's your prayer for one another. Dramatic pause. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is in this text, uh, Paul's going to ask that God would show us, show them to walk by grace. That's what he's going to, so if you're a note taker, those are your, your blanks that you can fill in. And if you're not a note taker, those are the blanks that they're filling in. Um, and then he does this by three points throughout what he's talking about here. Okay. So first thing he does is he shows us how we got here. And he does this by taking us all the way back to Genesis. So if you've read through this text, I, I hope that you have, because we're only going to uh, look at a couple different verses through this. That's your job, right? That's your job as a Berean to read it either before or after I preach this and to make sure that what I'm spouting off isn't just nonsense. That's your job. This is, this is my job, right? So, so how did we get here? Uh, Paul goes all the way back to Genesis 16, 17. He goes all the way back to Abraham. He goes all the way back to uh, Sarah and Hagar. So if you're familiar with the story, it goes like this. Abraham was given this promise of uh, uh, progeny, right? He was going to have children, and they were going to be a blessing to the entire uh, world through that offspring, and he's old. I mean, he's, he's old. She's old. This is physically impossible for them to have that happen. But Abraham believes in faith, and that faith is accounted to him as righteousness, the text says, right? And so they go about their business as, as, as you're going through this, the, the, the narrative of, of Genesis there. They get to a place where they think, you know, maybe we ought to help God out with this promise. Maybe God needs our help to fulfill this promise. And so they come up with this idea that uh, Abraham is going to take a, a second wife. He's going to take Hagar, the, the slave, the, the, the one who's supposed to be the helpmate to the household there. He's going to take her as a wife, and that through her, then, the child will be born, and then that will be the child that God is going to bless, and, and, and all that. And so what happens is she does get pregnant. Hagar gets pregnant and has Ishmael. Right? And what Paul is doing here is that he's reminding the Galatians of this story and he's going to use it allegorically because he wants them to understand how we got here. Not only how um, the Jews got there through Abraham, but also how we as the church got here. Because you also have to remember, through Abraham came who? Jesus. Yeah, Isaac. Yes, yes. You're, 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 you're right. You're absolutely right. But it's the Sunday school answer, right? Anytime pastor asks a question, what's the answer, pastor? Oh, it's Jesus, right? That's, that's the answer. But for this question, that was actually the answer. And so, uh, so yes, through Abraham comes Jesus. And so he's not only talking about how the Jews got here. He's talking about how did we, how did we brother and sister, in this room get here? Through this promise of Abraham to Sarah through Isaac, uh, in Genesis 16 and 17. And so he's telling them about the old covenant. He's telling them that this keeping of this old covenant uh, is the law. You, 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 they, they were a slave to that, and they're becoming freed through this. And so he says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. So we are children of a promise, not children of a law-keeping covenant. Now, should we still seek to keep the law because it is good and it is pleasing to God? Absolutely. Did Jesus not say, if you love me, you will keep my commands? Absolutely he did, right? So we're not, we're, we're not being totally let off the hook with just kind of uh, Mount Sinai, golden calf, worshiping freedom like that. We don't have that kind of freedom. 
But we do have the freedom given to us by the Holy Spirit, not as slaves, but as heirs. And he goes, and that's back to Galatians 3, 2, and he says, let me ask you this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of the faith? And so he uses this allegory, then, uh, and, and so sometimes, sometimes allegory is okay, and sometimes it's not okay. Now, can you guess if this is an okay allegory or not? Wh- which is this? This is okay. You know how I know that? Uh, because it's recorded in the Bible by Paul through the authority of the Holy Spirit. That, that's how I know this allegory is okay. Sometimes, though, us mere men, we can come up with allegory, and it's not so good, and so we have to judge that based on God's word, right? This allegory is good, and so he's talking about Ishmael is according to the flesh, Isaac according to supernatural intervention, which is the same way that we are born also. So he talks first, right? He wants him to walk in grace. He says, you need to know where you came from, because you also need to know who you are now. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to remind myself of who I am now all the time. Amen. Yes, that is a good spot for an amen, brother. Galatians 4.30 tells us, But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. Remember I said, so we're starting in 12, but we're going to bleed back a little bit. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can look at this, or you can check me later. Verse 8 talks about that we often, and talking about the Galatians specifically, we tend to turn back to these things that are not God's and bring ourselves back into slavery. And he asks us, after you've been set free, why are you doing that? And he lists some of those things for them under this Jewish law, this, these, these commands, uh, as far as keeping days and months and seasons. What he's talking about is Jewish religiosity. And I want to read to you a, a quote, because I think it's very powerful. Here's what it says. If you go to church, sing songs, study the word, thinking this is how you're going to work to earn God's favor, then you are no different from the over one billion Hindus in the world today who are bowing down to their gods. If your Christianity is a check-off box in order to make you feel good about yourself before God, in order to save your skin on the day of judgment, then your Christianity is no different than every other religion in the world, and ultimately, it is what will condemn you. Paul is uncovering a scheme of the devil in the first century that continues into the 21st century. It is subtly and dangerously deceiving, and this is is the power of it. You ready? What if Satan's strategy to condemn your soul involves not tempting you to do all the wrong things, but instead leading you to do all the right things with the wrong spirit. In essence, what he's saying here is, what if Satan wants you to try and work your way to God? You see, we have to remember who we are. Now, I told you before, I have to remind myself of this all the time but only half of it. You see, the one half, I remember very readily. Half of who I am, I remember very easily. And the half that I remember very easily is that I remember I'm a sinner. 
I remember that I'm a wretch. I remember that the things I don't want to do, those things I keep doing, the things that I don't want to say, those things I keep saying, the, the, the stuff that I, you, you know, the, the, the anger or the whatever, the pride, those things that I don't want to keep doing, those things I find myself continuously in, and I keep thinking to myself, I need to remember that I couldn't earn it in the first place, and so that doesn't change who I am now. So one half, Satan and my own flesh, remind me all the time, but I need the word of God to remind me of the second half that tells me I'm no longer a slave, I'm a son, and if a son, then an heir. And that tells me, yeah, you're right, you're all those things and praise God that that's what Jesus come to die for. And that praise the Lord that his justification and his righteousness now covers that. And praise the Lord that that is no longer your identity. It used to be, right, when you were Ishmael, but now you are Isaac. Because what we talked about, I think it was just last week, you've been adopted, right? The moment that we adopt our baby, they get our name. Yeah. They have been a gross, like it or not. From then on, and if it's a girl until she gets married, and if it's a boy, he's just stuck with it, right? And that's it. And even if she changes her name, I'll find her, right? Like, she's my girl, right? My daughter's my girl, and it doesn't matter who takes her. And he doggone well better be a good boy, but she'll always be my girl, right? And so same with this. We need to be reminded of that. We need to know where we came from, and I think that's part of it too. We need to understand the fact that we are sinners and we are wretches and we do deserve hell so that we can know who we are now for the last part so that we can know where we're going and so we can appreciate where we are going. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so where are we going? Well, he tells us that in 25 through 26. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to present Jerusalem, the earthly, physical, broken down, one wall, Jerusalem that's there that we see right now, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is where? Free. And she's our mother. I, I screwed that up. The Jerusalem that's free is where? She's above. So he's talking about heavenly Jerusalem. So we need to understand where we came from because of who we are, and we need to also understand where we're going, and that's how we stay in step with this grace, living every day by grace. We are destined for a heavenly home. And so it really doesn't matter how your 401k is doing because this is not the end. It ultimately doesn't matter, right, what kind of car you're driving or what kind of job you have or, or really even how long you live. So long as you are saved by this kind of grace, we can walk in this kind of grace because Paul wants you to know where you were and where you are and who you are and then where you're going because of who you are. I want to tell you just a quick story, I hope, to illustrate this. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the name of John Newton or not. Different than Wayne Newton, right? Um, different than Isaac Newton, totally different Newton. But this John Newton, in uh, the 1700s, he was a slave trader. When he was 11, he left the house to go to sea. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine? How different is our world now? 25 and they're still in your basement playing video games now, right? So it's 11, the dude left to go out to sea. And he gets this job as, as a sailor out on the ocean. And he gets involved in this terrible slave trade. And at the age of 21, on March 10th, 1748... His ship is like, it's going to go down. He's crying out to the Lord. 
It's like this Jonah kind of scene in, in, in my mind, okay? And so if you can uh, picture this out on the high seas, 21 years old. So he's been doing this for a while, okay? And he's crying out, and he was saved. And on that same day, that's how we have the date recorded, he was converted. He left the slave trade. He, he dedicated his life to the Lord, and he had this mounted above his mantle. You ready? So this is Deuteronomy 15.15. This guy had mounted above his mantle for this kind of purpose, to remember who he was, uh, to where, where he came from, who he was, and where he was going. He said, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. See, the way that we avoid the Galatians' folly is to allow this prayer to be our prayer. So Paul is praying, show us how to walk in grace. We do that by, like I just said, remembering where we came from, who we are now, where we're going. The second part of his prayer is to help them trust in your word. Help us to trust in his word. So what Paul begins in verse 12 there, he, he basically is telling them, uh, I, want, I became like a Gentile, to lead the Gentiles to Christ. He, he says, become like me because I've become like you. And what he's saying in that text is exactly that. He, he, he wants for them to understand that when he came to them, now remember who Paul is too, right? He's, he's the Jew of all Jews. He's a Benjamite. He was a Pharisee. Like he was super Jewishy, right? Like that's what he was saying. And then he came to the Gentiles after being saved by Christ. He then came to the Gentiles. He's like, look, I'm going to be like you because of the freedom that I have in Christ for the purpose of having you know Christ. Not the purpose because he wanted to watch the, the most popular Netflix special and have something to talk about with the friends around the water cooler. That's not what he's talking about, about becoming like them. Because I'm sure that Paul would say there are certain things that I can become like you in and there are certain things that I can't become like you in because of Christ. So he had the freedom to serve Christ, not the freedom to just live however he wants. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 22, this is exactly what he says. To the, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To the, to the outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I just want to ask you, how are you doing at that? That's not really even the point of this section, but I do want to ask that question. How are you doing at that? Because in some sense, the first point, you know, walking in grace, remembering where we came from so that we can know where we're going and all that, that's all good, but I don't want you to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good either. All Christians should be able to say something like this, especially to unbelieving friends. Become as I am. Let me show you. You want to know why? I have joy or I have peace or I have hope even in the face of some really terrible things in my life or, or do you want to know why our marriage seems to be working or our kids seem to be doing okay? Well, come into our house and you'll see that it's not everything that you think it is on Sunday morning. I can tell you that, number one. But number two, if you really want to know, it's because of Jesus. It has nothing to do with me or my wonderful wife who's far better than I am. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. And so... Then he goes on, he says, uh, he talks about how he met them. You can see that in there. He had this bad sickness. It was a burden to them and a trial to them. They accepted him even as an angel, he says there. Um, and then he asks them, what has happened 
to the grace with which you received me. And he wonders, he says, is it because now I'm telling you the truth? And so the two subpoints to help them trust in your word, the, the, the first is, is very simple. Help us to hear it. I mean, we are seeing what Scripture is telling us about, that in the latter days, uh, people will raise up for themselves teachers that are going to say things that are going to tickle their ears, say things that they want to hear so it makes them feel good about themselves, and that they don't have to come face to face with the truth of Scripture that reveals our hideousness and our uglinessness. Uh, that's a made-up word. So that we can receive Christ, the real beauty. And so we need to help to hear it. Because sometimes, brother or sister, if you're here long enough, so I'm going to say something that's going to offend you, either from up here on the, on the platform or face-to-face, because I love you. And if you love me and you're around long enough, you're going to say something that's going to hurt me too. And I pray that on that day, I will thank you for that. Because the truth is not our enemy. I mean, I I think I remember a scripture that says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so therefore, the truth can't be our enemy. So the truth may hurt, but it also saves. And unfortunately, the truth is, is not, not everybody wants to hear it. And that's what Paul is running into. And so his prayer for them, like I said, is he wants them to walk in this grace, and he also, he, he wants them to trust the word, because isn't that part of what's happening, that these Judaizers are coming in, and he's saying, no, it's Jesus plus, and they're saying, oh, that sounds right, and he said, that's not the gospel that you know, that's not the gospel that I taught. So, we need to hear the truth, even when it's not popular, but not only do we need to help to hear the truth when it's not popular, but we also need God's help to live it when it's not easy. Paul's trials remind us that living a life dedicated to Christ is not easy. I mean, even as we look at this text, we're reminded about how he found his way to those in Galatia. I would encourage you to read that section, but by all purposes, it sounds like he was a miserable guy while he was there. He, he says in the text uh, that if, if, if you would be able to gouge out your eyes and give it to me, you would have done that. And so a lot of commentators will say, hey, this is what happened with Paul. He must have caught some kind of weird disease or got some kind of sickness that messed up his vision. And maybe that's the thorn in the flesh that he keeps praying about and asking for God to remove. And God says, no, I'm not going to move that thorn. And then later he says, see what big letters I write to you. And they're like, probably because the dude couldn't see. And so he needed to write big so that he could read what he was writing. And also so that they could hold it up as a sign to one another and say, see, Paul wrote this. You can tell because he's blind as a bat. You know he wrote it, you know, that kind of. And so I don't know, but I can tell you this. It's hard to live out Christianity sometimes, isn't it? And you know, unfortunately, it's always going to be that way. It says, but just as at that time, now remember, he's talking allegorically. Just as at that time, Ishmael and Hagar, just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. And I hope this isn't news to you, but I, but I, but I, but I do want to tell you this. If you're new to this whole thing of Christianity, Jesus told us, I, I just want to, I want you to see, I want you to see the whole car before you buy it, right? 
Odometer and all. He, is it going to change your life and fix all kinds of stuff? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you get heaven from it? Yes, absolutely. Here's the other thing he said, though. Those who hate me will hate you also. He says, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. He says, those who lose their lives will find it. And so don't, we can't think that just following Jesus is always going to be, you know, roses and, and puppy dogs. And all the more in our country, it's becoming to the place where it is going to be difficult. And for those of us who are parents or who are grandparents, Man, are you praying for those precious little kids who are going to go out and this, inherit this twisted world that's being developed? And so if you think that early church persecution was all that we were talking about there, then you're mistaken. Very soon, if you follow the word, if you do these things, if you hear the word and you live according to it, very soon we are going to be labeled as fanatics. Do you understand that? As, as radical. And I say, praise the Lord. Back when I was a kid, radical was cool, so I'm down. <laughs> so Paul's prayer, show them how to walk by grace. Help them to trust in your word. Thirdly, give them a zeal for your will. We need to have a passion to live this out. So in Galatians 4, uh, 17 through 18, again, if you, didn't, if, you, if you missed that and I went too fast, give them a zeal for your will. Galatians 4, 17 through 18, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. Now, this make much of, if you want to put air quotes or whatever around, make much of is this word zealous, to have zeal for. So in essence, we could translate this, uh, they are zealous, but for no good purpose, they want to shut you out. They, they are zealous, uh, they, they want to shut you out so that you are zealous for them. It's always good to be made, uh, to, to, be, to have people be zealous for you if it's for a good purpose, Okay. I know I screwed that up, but you've got the word there. You can read it and you can, you can do it. Uh, so zeal is good if it's for the right thing, is what Paul's saying. So what's the right thing? What does Paul want us to have zeal for? What would Paul consider the right thing to have zeal for? Well, I don't think you need to go to seminary to answer that question, right? What does he want us to have zeal for? It's Jesus. That's the answer again. That's right. You got it. He wants to have zeal for Christianity, for following Christ, for living in the body, for, for these kind of things, for the will of God, according to my uh, thing that I just threw up there. And so what he wants for us, and we're going to see that in, uh, in, in verse 19. This is what he says here. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Women, I just want to ask you a question. Is, is having a baby easy? No. Some of you are shy about that. You should own that. That is a mantle of pride that you should wear well. I've seen four of them. I almost forgot how many. I've seen four of them, and none of them were easy. And so he is in anguish over them. He is, he is laboring that Christ might be formed in them, and that is the zeal of the will that he talks about. So the underpoint is, firstly, that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. This word here in the text is morpho, to be formed in. It's of the same nature of. So he says, uh, until Christ is formed on, in you, basically what he's saying is until you are of the same nature of Christ. Does that sound like a work that's ever going to end? No, not until we die and then we're glorified, and then he completes that work in us, right? But Paul is saying, 
the zeal that is good is for us to be praying for one another and lifting one another up so that we might be conformed into the image of Christ, the very nature of Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the zeal that Paul wants us to have for one another. That's the zeal Paul wants to have for them. He wants that. Paul wants for them to have that kind of zeal. That's, that's what I'm saying. And so he uses this very graphic imagery of childbirth, which is a pain of love because at the end there is a purpose and there is a pleasure that is worth it. This should be the prayer of every pastor of every church. This should be the prayer of every father for every child. This should be the prayer of every mother for every child. This should be the prayer of every Christian for themselves and for one another. Are we zealous for this? To truly be conformed to the image of Christ. And then the second part of what he does there, I think... It's implied, it's not intrinsic in the, in the text, I would say, but to see others transformed for the glory of Christ. Because Paul understands this, that when we, as little image bearers, when we reflect rightly Christ to the world around us, who is given the glory for that? Is it me? No, it's Christ, because he's done the work in me, right? And so we should be zealous for the will of God in our lives and in the life of the church, which is for the church, for those who made up of the body to be conformed to the image of Christ and to see others transformed for the glory of Christ because that is what we are created for. So are we striving to this end? Paul wonders because in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brother or sister, can you hear the pain of his voice in that? Think of, just think about the context again, right? So Paul leaves everything he knows, becomes an outcast from Jewish society because he, he believes, he's sold out for Christ. And so he goes on this journey, suffers this terrible anguish that ends up having him be there for a while. So he preaches the gospel while he's there because he says, whether I live or die, it's to Christ. And so even though I'm in terrible anguish and I'm, I'm going to preach the gospel while I'm here. And so he does that and he shares the good news of Christ with them. And then God calls him to another place because he's a missionary. He's called to be a missionary. So he, he goes on to some other place. And in that short period of time, they turn back to a different kind of slavery. Before they were worshiping, you know, I don't know, like Zeus or Artemis or whatever and doing all that kind of garbage. And then they're set free by Christ. They're given an inheritance. They're given this freedom. They're given this joy and this peace and this hope. And then these people come and say, well, you really, you got to actually wear a special kind of clothes and you got to have circumcision and you got to do these special days. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll do that. And he's saying, look, you... You're doing the same. You're, you're doing the same thing. You're, you're, you're doing the same kind of pagan rituals here because we know the way, the truth, and the life is Christ. And he says, "Please don't let me have labored in vain for you. I'm in childbirth again because I want to. I want to reintroduce to you the gospel." Therefore, Paul's prayer for the Galatians is, and I think it's a good prayer for us too that. Uh, 
We need to be shown how to walk by grace. We need to trust in God's word. And we need to have a zeal for his will. And so I want to ask you, will you pray that with me right now? God, our Father in heaven, will you show us how to walk by grace in this faith? Lord Jesus, will you Will you help us to trust in your word and to hold it in a high honor? God, will you give us a passion, a fire, a zeal for your will uh, above all else? And God, we pray that you would not let us be mere hearers, but doers. Let us not be mere professors, but proclaimers. God, we ask that you would let us press on into one another until Christ is formed in us. Lord, we see that this is Paul's prayer for the Galatians, and Lord Jesus, this is ours. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to ask...